Good morning, Calvary. <laughs> it's such a privilege to be giving my first sermon as your pastor. It's always excited, as you can tell. <laughs> but I, I cannot begin to tell you how excited I am to get to know you more um, and to see what God has in store for Calvary in the coming days. All the glory goes to him. Amen. And here we are in December, the month in which we celebrate Christmas. We've got Christmas trees around, right? Our lights are slowly getting uh, onto our houses. And finally, since Thanksgiving is over, we can start listening to Christmas music. Um, but I figured since we're not in a sermon series currently, that it would be nice to start a small Christmas and Advent series. And so for the next couple of weeks, we'll be in the book of Matthew. Uh, specifically looking at chapters 1 and 2. And so this morning we'll be looking at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And I think it'll be very helpful if you have a Bible or you have a phone that has a Bible on it to uh, turn to Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, um, so that you could follow along. Matthew 1, 1-17. Through 17. Let's read. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram. And Ram, the father of Aminadab, and Aminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shittiel, and Shittiel was the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father, father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. And from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. This is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful to be in your house this morning. 
And Lord, we are thankful for your word. Lord, we pray that you would meet with us this morning. Lord, that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit and your word. And that you would transform us. Lord, we are thankful for what this season represents. Lord, we pray as we discuss these things that our hearts would be changed, Lord, that we would not be focused and more concerned about traditions of our culture, but that we would be focused on really what the season represents. A God who makes promises and fulfills them by his son Jesus and rescues his people from their sins. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us this morning. We We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so my main point for this sermon this morning, the truth that I would love for you to walk away with is this. You can see it on the screen there. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who fulfills God's promises and rescues his people. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who fulfills God's promises and rescues his people. So I bet some of you were, uh, as we turned to the passage this morning, were a little concerned. A genealogy? Really? Your first Sunday, and you choose a genealogy. Aren't there dozens of other Christmassy passages you could have chose? But yes, there are. But this is the text that the Lord has placed on my heart. And as I studied it, and I was able to spend time with the text, I got to see the riches that are in it. And I hope that you'll be able to see the riches that are in it this morning as I share some with you. But see, that's the thing. We're often tempted to skip over some parts of the Bible, right? Am I alone? No. How many times in your Bible reading plan have you landed on a genealogy and said, hmm, I'm just going to skip this one for today. I definitely have. This opening section in Matthew's gospel doesn't really grab our attention. It's a long list of hard-to-pronounce names of people who we are very unfamiliar with. For most modern readers like ourselves, genealogies aren't that interesting. I understand that there are some people out there who think genealogies aren't interesting, but most of us think that they're pretty boring. But as we approach sections like this in Scripture, we must understand that they're for a reason. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. All scripture is profitable. All scripture is beneficial to us. When Matthew was writing his gospel, he wasn't thinking, how can I bore my reader to death in the first 17 verses? No, Matthew wanted his readers to instantly be engaged to be drawn into the good news that he was presenting. And Matthew's original audience, those who would read this gospel first, were the Jews. And genealogies played a crucial role in Jewish society. Land was based on your family tree. And those who could prove their ancestry in Israel were allowed inside, and those who couldn't weren't. And so considering Matthew's original audience, we can see that starting with a genealogy would grab some attention. 
But as we see, but as we will see, the claims that Matthew makes in this genealogy shouldn't just grab our attention. They should give us hope. Take a look at verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. In the first verse, in fact, in the first few chapters of this gospel, Matthew is presenting who Jesus is before getting into what Jesus did. He presents who Jesus is before talking about what Jesus has done. Matthew wants his readers to understand that Jesus is the king. He is the anointed one. He's the Messiah whom God has promised. He should be the foundation for all of your hope of security and salvation. And so in order to understand who Jesus is, Matthew points us back. We often think that the story of Jesus begins in a manger. But Matthew says no. The story of Jesus goes further back. In fact, the manger doesn't make much sense without the backstory. You cannot understand the arrival or birth of Jesus if you don't understand the bigger story. We should never try to understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. So Matthew writes, the book of the genealogy. This can also be translated as the book of the Genesis. And so Matthew's readers would see the hint that Matthew was saying, hinting back to the creation story, Genesis, in the Old Testament. He's reminding them of the creation, the fall, the promise that God makes, and is also saying in this gospel, I am writing this story because there is a new Genesis coming. There is a new beginning. In the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, we learn that God creates the world. And he creates man in his own image. But very quickly, chapter 3, things go wrong. Man is deceived by the serpent and sins against God. He rejects the rule of God and is ruled by sin and death. And as a result, all of mankind is affected by suffering, sickness, sin, and death. I think we can all attest to that, right? All of mankind is affected by suffering, sickness, sin, and death. But God does not walk away. Even though Adam and Eve had sinned, he still makes this promise. A promise to rescue his people, even in the midst of their sin and rebellion. In Genesis 3.15, God makes this promise. Some scholars call this the proto-evangelium, which basically means the first gospel. God says that the woman's offspring will bruise the head of the serpent. This is a promise to send a deliverer, the Messiah, who will be the physical descendant of Eve, who will overcome Satan and save his people from their sins. And so Matthew, by writing the genealogy of Jesus, is not only giving us the line in which Jesus has come from, but he's hinting that this is a new beginning. 
The great reversal of the fall of man has now come in Jesus. So the reader's ears would perk up. But then also in verse 1, we have these two names. We have David, and then we have Abraham. These are two of the key men in Israel's past. And so Matthew roots this gospel in history. In fact, he structures his genealogy into three groupings. You can see that in verse 17. Each grouping includes 14 generations. And to be clear, this is not a comprehensive list. There are definitely more generations than that. But Matthew, uh, he could have brought in more names, but he chooses these names specifically. And he groups them this way for a specific purpose. So what are the groupings? In the first stage, we have Abraham to David. We have this rise of a nation, the nation of Israel, right? And then we have David to the deportation, which is the falling of a nation. And then lastly, the deportation to Christ, which shows the the faithful remnant of God's people during their time of captivity, and then also the promise fulfilled. But let's look at the first grouping. There we have Abraham. Way back in the beginning of our Bibles, there's this man named Abraham, and God makes a promise to him that the whole world would be blessed through his offspring. There's only one problem. Him and his wife couldn't have children. His wife, Sarah, was barren. But eventually, Isaac was born. The son that God had promised them was there. Is this the offspring? Is this the promise? But then what does God ask Abraham to do? To sacrifice Isaac. To kill him on a mountain. The promise looked like it would end there. And yet Isaac is spared because God provides a ram to sacrifice instead of Isaac. And in Genesis 22, God reaffirms this promise to Abraham. Genesis 22 says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, And have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And listen to this. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. But shortly after, it was unsure if God's promise was going to be kept again. Because the 12 sons of Jacob were going to starve due to famine. And yet they survive because God gives Joseph favor in Egypt. But then later on, they become slaves in Egypt. And it looks like God's promise had ended there. But God's people were led out of Egypt. But then they were persecuted and sent into exile. And it looked like the promise had ended But here in Matthew, Jesus is called the son of Abraham, the promised one. In Galatians 3.16, Paul writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, 
and to your offspring, who is Christ. The promise to Abraham could have been misunderstood, that the nations of the earth would be blessed by multiple descendants of Abraham. But Paul makes it clear for us that there is one offspring in whom God's promise to Abraham would find its ultimate fulfillment. God promised to bless the nations. The nations were under the curse of sin and were separated from God. And in this promise given to Abraham, there is hope of redemption, of restored blessing, of reconciliation to God. Matthew calls Jesus the son of Abraham because he wants his readers to know, he wants you to know that God kept his promise to Abraham through Jesus. All right, so that's Abraham. That was the first stage that we have. And let's look at the second stage. And as you can see in verse 6, we have this second grouping. David comes from the line of Abraham through his father, Jesse. And like Abraham before him, God makes a promise to David. In 2 Samuel 7, 16, God promised a son whose throne and kingdom would last forever. And at first, like this, it looks like this promise is going to be fulfilled through David's second son, Solomon. But we soon realize that while some things are fulfilled, obviously, the fact that his kingdom would last forever isn't. And so the ultimate fulfillment in an everlasting kingdom will have to come through another son. The Old Testament prophets said a lot about this son. Consider Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 through 6. Jeremiah writes, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us, a child is born, and to us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth. And forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And as you read Matthew's gospel, the title son of David will show up all the time. Matthew doesn't want us to lose sight of the fact that Jesus is the promised son of David. The one whose kingdom that will never end. And so that's the second grouping that Matthew lists. And then the third grouping we have is the deportation to Babylon. 
It's the lowest point in Israel's history as a nation. We see it in in verse 11. Their captivity in Babylon. The people of Israel constantly disobeyed God and warned them that they would be punished for their disobedience. And they continued in rebellion and rejected God's rule. And so God allows them to be overtaken by the Babylonians. But then at this time in exile, God's people mourned. They cried out to him. And as Bill played earlier, one of the most famous Christian hymns that we sing during this season reflects on the deportation. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel, the promise. The promise even in the midst of captivity. God was faithful to his promise even in the darkest of moments. Even when his people outright rejected him, he kept a faithful remnant. And you see their names there in verses 12 to 16. And this all led to the one who would fulfill all of these promises. These are the three stages of Israel's history that Matthew lists. And I think it's pretty clear, but it's worth pointing out. One takeaway from this genealogy already is that we need to know the Old Testament if we're going to understand the Savior that we serve. This is not a history lesson to listen to and then forget when we walk away. This is our history. If you're going to understand the Savior you serve, dig into the Old Testament. There's riches to be found. And not only would this genealogy draw the interest of the first century Jews, but for some, and hopefully for us, it gives hope. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting for the promised one to come. And Matthew reminds them that God has kept his promises. The time of waiting was hard. It was filled with brokenness, with darkness, with suffering. And while God's people might have forgot or doubted God, that he would ever come through, God remains faithful to his promises despite his people's sinfulness. And we all struggle with doubt and trust. Our lives at times can seem so chaotic. Sinclair Ferguson writes, we sometimes get lost, but God is never lost. We often are confused by our circumstances. God never is. We have doubts about his purposes, but God knows what he is doing. His promises never fail. God may seem slow to us, but he is always moving his purposes on exactly the right speed. God is never late. He is always on time, and his timing is perfect. 
the longest standing and most difficult to keep promise of God has been kept in Jesus. So that means that you and I can trust him to keep his promises to us too. His promises to work for our good, to be with us by his spirit, and to bring us home to be with him in glory forever. In this genealogy, we are reminded that God fulfills his promises in Jesus. But another thing that we sh- that should draw our attention to are the people who are listed as Jesus' relatives. So as you take a look at the names that are listed in the 17 verses here, you can't help but notice that this is not the cleanest list. Jesus' family tree has some pretty shady characters. Of course, we are all sinners, and so everyone on this list is a sinner, but there are some who are more respectable, and then some who aren't. There are some who are generally good people, and then there are some really, really, really bad people. There are some who seem to be on the inside, and then some who are definitely on the outside. But take Abraham and David at examples first. We can say that Abraham had some amazing moments of faith. And yet, he failed miserably at times. He feared for his own life, so he lied about his wife being his sister. Not a good moment for Abraham, right? He and Sarah doubted that God would give them a child. David, he was called by God. He was a man after God's own heart. But David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered her husband. Matthew makes a point to mention this in the genealogy. Did you guys notice that? Take a look at verse 6. It says, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. He doesn't even mention Bathsheba's name. He mentions her husband's name, the man who he committed adultery with his wife, and then the man that he murdered. Some pretty low moments in the life of David. And then in verse 10, we have Manasseh listed in Jesus' family tree. He is the worst, the worst of the worst of the worst of the kings. He promoted the worship of idols and killed innocent people. And it says in God's word that he did more evil than the nations. But Manasseh is included in the line of Jesus. If this were our genealogy, our family tree, we wouldn't want some of these people listed. We'd probably try to find some ways to erase them out of the genealogy, right? We wouldn't invite them over for Christmas. But this is the line that God chose for the Messiah to come through. This is the line that God chose for the Messiah to come through. Jesus' genealogy includes great kings and great sinners. And even though Jesus' lineage is royalty, he did not come to praise his relatives. He came to save them. If you doubt this, Look at the four women who appear in this genealogy. It was definitely not customary for women to be included in Jewish genealogies. 
And so Matthew intentionally uses these names in order for them to jump off the page and help his readers see the grace and mercy of God. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, were all Gentiles. From the beginning, we're seeing Matthew challenge this first century Jewish mind that the Gentiles will be included into the kingdom of God, not just the Jews. The Gentiles were the outsiders of the day. They weren't allowed into the community of faith. But here in the new beginning, the book of the genealogy of Jesus, God is blessing all nations by extending his grace beyond his chosen people. And some of these women didn't have the best of reputations. Again, Tamar, Rahab, and Bathsheba were involved in sexual sin. Tamar wanted to have children so bad that she ends up acting like a prostitute and sleeping with her father-in-law. And then has two children who are both listed in the genealogy. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho, but she did help the Israelite spies. And as we, meant, we also mentioned Bathsheba's sin with David. What a messed up family tree, right? But Matthew knows what he's doing when he organizes this genealogy. He's about to introduce to his readers the friend of sinners. The one who did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So maybe this week you have failed and sinned against God. Maybe you walked in here with a great burden or a guilty conscience. Even when we were singing the songs, you couldn't even sing because you just felt so far from God. I hope that in this text you see the love and mercy of God towards sinners like us. And of course, these people in this genealogy, they're they're not there because God endorses their behavior. Let's just be clear about that. God's people are called to repent of their sins and to turn towards God in repentance. But these names do reveal the world in which Jesus came and how desperately they and we are in need of salvation. This great list of sinners is presented so that the divine grace that forgives may be magnified. We aren't supposed to look at this list and point our fingers at those who are worse than us. We're supposed to look at it and see that the names of people are on here are the people who God saves. God saves sinners like us. God promised to send a deliverer, one who would save and bless the nations. And Calvary, King Jesus, is this promised one. And if you are a Christian, for better or for worse, these are your people. (laughs) And if you don't believe me, in Galatians 3.29, Paul writes, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. But this is the genealogy, the family tree that you need to be in. Because it's a genealogy 
of grace. All right, so we've seen the promises that God has made and Jesus has fulfilled. We've seen the messed up family tree and those who he came to save. And lastly, I want to focus on who Matthew says Jesus is. This points us back to verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Who is Jesus? Jesus is called the Christ. I hate to burst your bubble, but Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's way more important than that. It's a title given to him. It's a title that means anointed one. It's a Hebrew word for the word, or in Hebrew, the word Christ is Messiah, meaning the anointed king whom God promised who would deliver his people from Satan and sin. So he is the Christ. He is also the son of David, the one whose kingdom who will never end and who will restore the world that Adam ruined. He is the son of Abraham, the one who brings blessing to all the nations. The blessing was forfeited by the first Adam, but Christ is the second Adam, son of Abraham, who blesses all who come to him. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. But there's a more important point that Matthew makes in this genealogy. Not only is Jesus the Messiah, not only is Jesus the King, but Jesus is God. God himself. And there's no sentence in the genealogy that directly says he is God. I saw some of you go, huh? It's definitely subtle, and you kind of have to dig for it. And we will focus more on the birth of Jesus next week. But in verse 16, Matthew writes, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. The way that this verse is phrased points to the uniqueness of Jesus' birth. There's a rhythm in this genealogy. I don't know if you noticed it as I was reading it. If you look at verse 2, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and so on. But when you get to this verse, verse 16, the rhythm gets disrupted. Why? Because Joseph isn't Jesus' biological father. But Mary is the biological mother. She is the one of whom Jesus is born. Jesus was born of a virgin. We find out later in Matthew that this is not a normal child. He is not a normal king. This is the divine son of God. God himself. God with us. So in this genealogy, we get to see who Jesus truly is. And to see that he has come to save sinners like us and bring, them, bring us into his kingdom that will never end. This is how Matthew starts his genealogy. Don't you see the riches in this passage that we're tempted to pass over? How amazing 
are some of these truths for us today. This is how Matthew starts. Let's really quickly take a look at how Matthew ends. Let's turn all the way to the end of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. And as we read it, I want you to think about those two things, that Jesus is the son of David and he is the son of Abraham. And think about the promises made to both David and Abraham. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 1 and chapter 28 are bookends. They complement one another. As Matthew introduces Jesus as the son of David, whose kingdom will never end, what does Jesus say in chapter 28? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He is the son of David. Matthew introduces Jesus as the son of Abraham who will bring blessing to all nations. And Jesus commands his people to do what? To make disciples of all nations. To bless the nations with the good news of the gospel. Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the son of Abraham. And so what? What can we take away from this passage? Well, obviously a lot of things. Are we just supposed to walk away with a history lesson? Of course not. That's not why Matthew wrote this. This is where the story of Jesus starts. He is the long-awaited Messiah. Because of who Jesus is, he is the king. He is the Lord. And he has come down to save his people. And because of that, we can have hope even in the darkest and most confusing times in our lives. We see in this genealogy that Jesus has come to fulfill the promises and to save the greatest of sinners. And so it's amazing to see God's sovereign hand working to bring these promises come to pass. And when he makes a promise, he will do it. So my question to you is are you living in light of all these promises? Are you trusting in God's word? He keeps his promises, and he also redeems. We all need grace because we are sinners in need of salvation. No matter what you've done, think about the people in Jesus' family line both kings and prostitutes. There are no barriers to God's mercy. He will have mercy upon anyone 
no matter what gender, no matter what nationality, no matter what sin, God's grace is extended to all who come to him. No matter what you've done, if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, this can be your family. A family filled full of sinners, but even more full of grace. So see, this Christmas season that we're celebrating has nothing to do with Christmas trees. Has nothing to do with lights or presents. The true message of Christmas is the fact that God came down. Don't miss it this Christmas in the midst of holiday shopping and and celebrating lights and decorations and joyful carols. All those things are great. I am not downplaying those things. But don't miss the true message. Because if all of that was taken away, would you have a Merry Christmas? I hope so. The reality and significance of Jesus coming to this earth is what we should really be celebrating. God kept his promises. God comes down to save us from our sins and bring us into his kingdom. So Calvary Baptists, live confident in God's word and also marvel at the grace extended to you in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah who fulfills God's promises and rescues his people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for genealogies. Lord, we admit that we are sinful people who often forget your promises and who you are. Thank you for the reminder that you are not like us. You always keep your promises. Help us to be patient in times when your promises are delayed. Help us to trust when we are tempted to doubt. Lord, we confess that you are a forgiving and gracious God who saves his people from their sins. Thank you that we belong to this family because of what Jesus has done. We pray in his name. Amen.